National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Pope Francis has decided to extend the Synod on Synodality to October 2024. His announcement on October 16th included his decision to divide the Synod of Bishops into two sessions that will meet in Rome October 2023 and October 2024. Register Rome correspondent Edward Penton joins us with an analysis of this news. Then EWTN legal analyst Andrea Pachati Bayer joins us to discuss the new term at the U.S. Supreme Court and cases Catholics should watch. She'll also highlight how religious liberty is in the crosshairs of the midterm elections. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and your host here on Register Radio. Unfortunately, Matthew isn't with us this week. He's in Rome for bureau meetings there, and, and we'll look forward to having him back next week. So, Pope Francis launched the Synod on Synodality in October 2021. It's supposed to be a multi-year process, um, but it was supposed to end in October 2023. Uh, there were there were phases of this that included a diocesan phase, and now we're in a continental phase. Um, and in the diocesan phase, 112 out of 114 of the world's Catholic conferences uh, uh, participated. So now something has changed. Uh, Edward, I'm happy to have you on to discuss this change. The Synod on Synodality has been somewhat of a complex um, process. I can't even call it an event because it's really a series of events. So help help describe what has changed. Well, we heard um, at the Pope's Angelus on Sunday that uh, he announced that um, it will now be held in two sessions and at the, the meeting next year. It's going to be the Ordinary General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops. Uh, so it'll be now over two years, uh, that, that final session, uh, beginning uh, in October next year and then concluding in October 2024. Um, so it's, it's basically been extended by a year. And as you say, it's already been going on since 2021. So it's, it's, um, it's going to be a much longer process uh, than, than initially uh, announced. It was initially announced to be just one, one synod uh, this year, I believe. But uh, it's now been extended much, much longer. So as I understand it, um, this is not the first time that he has kind of split up a synod. I, I understand that some of the past synod of bishops have been split into two sessions. Is that correct? Well, like the first uh, synod that he, he oversaw, the synod on the family, that was split into two. It was first of all an extraordinary synod of bishops in 2014, and then there was a, another one in 2015. That was because uh, of the extent of the of the material that needs to be covered on regarding the family, it was considered to be very complex and needed two synods to be dealt with. Uh, but that's the only other time that he's done that. Okay. Uh, he's he implemented this this um, document, uh, which was called Episcopalis Communio, uh, I think in 2018, which basically, um, or maybe earlier than that actually, but it, it basically said that he has the right to extend the synod whenever he wants. So he kind of implemented that that law then, and he's used that uh, for this as well. Okay. And in his Angelus uh, last weekend, how did he describe his reasons? What, what, why is he extending it? Did he give indication? Uh, well, it says because of the breadth and importance of the, 
of the material being discussed, uh, which needs to be subjected to prolonged discernment, not only by the members of the Synodal Assembly, but also by the whole church. So he said that that's why it's need, it needs more of uh, a, more, a, a longer time. And, that it's, and he repeated, as it's been said before, that this is an event, not a, uh, uh, sorry, it's not an event, it's a process. Mm-hmm. So it's, right. it, it's something that's going on over a period of years rather than uh, just one event. And because it, he says that a synodal path means to walk together and that needs to be done uh, as a process, as a sort of processional dimension, the processual dimension, as he calls it, um, and that it's a sort of journey within the journey to foster a more mature reflection for the greater good of the church. Right. So, Edward, you know, before this news came out, there have there has been criticism that the uh, diocesan phases weren't representative enough of, of Catholics. I mean, that the percent of people who participated was so low that that really makes you question um, whether or not this is is really listening to the church. Um, and, and not only that, but there have been uh, some who raise the concern that the issues that are seemingly overrepresented are issues like homosexuality, uh, LGBT, um, quote-unquote rights, mm-hmm. um, sort of within, um, within the church. And it's, that has, has really caused, I think, a question, mm. it, it, it being hijacked. We've heard that word, you know, um, mm. uh, several times. Um, so yeah. now that this news has come out, uh, that it, it, the process is extended, uh, how is this news being spun? <laughs> well, I think it's it is very much because of that. I I think it's very interesting to to look back at what Cardinal Carlo Martini said um, back in who died in 2012. He was somebody who advocated. He had he had a so-called dream in 1999 of a sort of permanent synodal state for the church. Hmm. Now, Cardinal Martini was favoured by those who who wanted sort of heterodox changes to the church. Um, and very much he saw that process, a sort of permanent synodal ch- church, as a means to put through these heterodox uh, positions. And he, he was in favor of, of ending the clerical celibacy and perhaps uh, bringing in women priests or deacons and so forth. And so I think it's very much part of that. And I think it's very interesting to read what he said then. He also said in a later interview in 2004 that he saw the Synod of Bishops as Pope Francis does, as an important element in a less centralized form of church governance. And he also believed that rather than argue for a third Vatican Council, he believed um, a vision of a permanent synodal church would not only be more in line with what he said the Second Vatican Council's call was for collegial governance, but for an effective vehicle for introducing those key issues that he mentioned, those, those that I've mentioned just now. So, I think it's it's very much part of that, and the, and the way that the Pope is now spinning it out now um, over two more years, I think points to the fact that he wants this to be almost like a permanent state for the Church of, of constant synods, um, which is very much what, um, for example, the Church of England has had for years, and which they many of them say is the cause for a lot of their uh, problems because it's mm-hmm. caused so many discussions, constant debate, and never really anything settled. Um, and I think that's that's a danger of this, and I think that's what some people are concerned about. 
So this is Jeanette DeMello on Register Radio with Edward Penton, and we're talking about the Synod on Synodality's extension into another year, uh, 2024. And, uh, of course, there's been some spin around this, and, Edward, I think uh, recalling Cardinal Martini is a great thing because uh, this is precisely the spirit that is being resurrected. People are are saying that, oh, this is like a a Vatican III, and and others have said even that Vatican III isn't necessary. Uh, It wouldn't be necessary because now we're reaching, as as you put it, this synodal mode of governance, a, a more decentralized mode of governance. governance, And that was with what Cardinal Martini had in mind. Um, just one other interesting point here, which I think needs to be pointed out, is that for a long time it's been called the Synod of Bishops. Now they're calling it basically the Synod. They're taking away the sort of the, the, the labeled Synod of Bishops. Um, that seems to be, they still call it that, but but often they'll just call it the Synod. And I think that's an interesting aspect too, which is it's it's removing a lot of the bishops, in a sense, from the decision-making process and trying to bring it, as they say, to the people of God and, and sort of like this inverted pyramid that the Pope wants. Uh, but I think that's also something that needs to be um, looked at because that's a key element of this this sort of process that they're, they're moving the synod along, I believe. Right. Well, I've been thinking we just had the 60th uh, anniversary of the opening of Vatican II. The Register um, had a symposium last week that, that looked at this anniversary. And I've been thinking to myself time and time again, is this really what Vatican II had in mind for church governance? Is is this kind of synod, uh, perpetual synod, uh, really what it had in mind? What of your sources, the conversations you're hearing, what do they say about that? Well, I don't know whether that's considered to be what the council, certainly the council wanted a more collegial form of governance. And as I said earlier, that's what Cardinal Martini thought this would would, uh, introduce. Um, But I think it's more to do with, and this is what I've heard as well, that it's probably more to do with gaining time in order to to push through these, these progressive heterodox views. And I think that that seems to be the key point. And it, I don't know whether that's that's really what the council had in mind. I think the Synod of Bishops that Paul VI set up, the institution, I think was really to to, to aid him uh, in taking decisions as kind of consultative body. It was never meant, I think, to be anything more than that. Right. Uh, and so I think it's gone beyond, way beyond what he and the council probably envisioned, I think. Right, and even before this new, this latest development about the change in, in date, adding a year, um, there have been a lot of criticism over this whole process. Um, maybe one um, uh, that is extremely forceful <laughs> in his criticism, and, and maybe justly, is uh, Cardinal Gerhard Mueller. And uh, on mm. October 6th, on EWTN's The World Over, he told Raymond Arroyo, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, that in in visible in the Synod on Synodality, um, the Catholic Church is really facing, and now I'm quoting, a hostile takeover uh, by people who think that doctrine is like the program of a political party. Um, So Mm -hmm. that can be changed by votes and and whatnot. So really, Cardinal Mueller has had some some tough words. Uh, What else has he said? Well, yes, no, he has said that, and I think he's been quite consistently critical of of the process because he sees it as um as i said earlier as a means a gateway really for these groups to come in and as you said earlier they're the ones who are really only getting heard they're not 
they're not really listening to um, the more traditional voices in the church. They're not. They say that they can they have they can join in, but they're not really uh, encouraging them to. And there's no real effort to try to bring them in. Um, and so it really does seem to be a sort of one-sided uh, debate. And they talk about listening, but it really is only listening, it seems, to those who are willing to uh, go along with this sort of progressive agenda. And um, I think unless that changes, I think this this whole process, um, according to, to people I've spoken to, I think they say it will be completely fruitless uh, because mm-hmm. um, people aren't on board with it. I was speaking to somebody in Germany today. He said only one to two percent of the people took part in the process um, at the national stage. Uh, so, as you said earlier, there's, there's been so, so little participation, um, and and also those who are participating, uh, many of them aren't well catechized or, or well formed. And so, it begs the question: what what are, what are they actually contributing to this debate? And mm-hmm, right. they probably pushing. An agenda as well that's more secular than it is Catholic. So, I right. think that there's lots of big question marks, which, which really the the synod probably has to um, deal with before this can really make any any sure progress. I think. Exactly, and and we have heard Francis say that he, we need more than the the four percent, um, y- you know, uh, entering into this process. Well, that's proven extremely difficult to do. So we'll see what another year, adding another year, does. But uh, but we also look forward within a, a week. Uh, excuse me, a month or so to the instrumentum laboris that should be produced and that helps guide uh, these assemblies that are expected. So Edward, thank you so much um, for your insights into this and we'll continue to stay tuned. Uh, This is Register Radio on EWTN. Uh, We'll be taking a short break and after that we'll be joined by legal analyst Andrea Pachati-Bayer on what Catholics should watch for at the new Supreme Court term. This is Register Radio. Stay tuned for more. Bishop James Conley talks about the National Catholic Register. I've been reading the Register for over 40 years, and I can tell people with absolute conviction that it's the best periodical out there. They're honest, they're true, and they give a great perspective. It's important to be able to have a news source like the National Catholic Register where we can go to and make sense and decipher what's going on around us. It also engages the imagination. If you really want to be an informed Catholic, you got to read the National Catholic Register. To get six free issues, order online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. While you're waiting on your first issue, be sure to enjoy our content online. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. We are in the midst of an intense moment in our nation's political life. Midterm elections are now merely weeks away. Uh, The U.S. Supreme Court has begun a new session after the last session concluded with the reversal of Roe v. Wade, which is sending matters of abortion law back to the states, and that was a big one. So uh, here we are with more important cases before the high court. Uh, There are many important considerations for Catholic voters this fall, and 
of course, sometimes we need a little, a little guide through all of this and helping us um, stay aware of uh, both of these realms is Andrea Pachati Bayer. Andrea is a legal analyst for EWTN News and a regular contributor to the Register. She joins me now. Welcome back, Andrea. Ah, oh, Jeanette, thank you so much for having me. It's always great to be with you guys. Yeah, it's always always important conversations that we're having affecting the life of our of our country. Um, Andrea, in the recent column, one of the recent columns you wrote, we'll reference two here, um, you wrote that the new term for our high court, uh, in this new term, the justice's fidelity to the Constitution and the laws of the United States will be tested once more. And you list some of the things they are, are going to be considering, and that involves free speech, affirmative action in higher education, uh, voting rights, uh, tribal sovereignty, election law, all of these things. Um, and, and yet, I'm sure am- amongst all of those things, there's probably uh, one case like you're really watching. So uh, let's, let's get to that one. Like, what, is, what do you feel is the most important case currently on the docket? Well, you know, all cases that get to the Supreme Court are of profound significance for our legal system and in the lives of the individual parties and anyone that's going to be touched on principles and precedent related to that. But as, as Catholics and particularly concerned about religious freedom and the expression of free expression of believers in America, I can't think of a more important case than 303 Creative LLC versus Elenis. And that's a case out of Colorado. Um, Lori Smith is a Christian website designer. She wanted to design wedding websites, and she wanted to do so consistent with her understanding that marriage is between a man and a woman, traditional uh, Christian understanding of of marriage. And so she went to court and said, hey, I don't want to get into trouble with my state Civil Rights Commission, and so I want a declaration from from the courts that I can not only refuse to make same-sex wedding websites, but also put a disclaimer on my business website that, you know, I just really want to work to support and celebrate traditional marriage. She lost in the district Mm -hmm. court and in the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, which basically said that Lori had to was being forced by the government to produce these websites um, for same-sex uh, weddings and um, and that she couldn't put a dis- disclaimer. And that's a really shocking um, affront to free speech in America um, and really silences religious believers um, under the guise of kind of anti-discrimination considerations. Um, so the court's going to have to look at this. It's, it's, I like to call it the Masterpiece Cake Shop 2.0 right. because similar issues were raised. Um, if, if your listeners remember Jack Phillips, the Colorado baker, um, who continues to be kind of hounded um, for his belief that he just was going to use his creative principles consistent with his faith. Um, and now the court is going to have to address these issues on the merits. The court is only looking at the free speech issue, not um, Lori's free exercise rights under the First Amendment. But it's a pretty significant issue to grapple with, and especially looking at our rich tradition of free speech in America, it's going to be important that the court speak clearly on this. 
Right. And so both of these cases are Colorado cases. And that's, I used to live there and, and it's, it's interesting uh, to kind of see kind of their, the state's aggressive stance is, is this, is the state's law or policy going to be reviewed uh, in this, in this case? Well, that's that's the hope, is whether or not the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act um, failing to give an exemption or an accommodation is a violation of the First Amendment. That issue was presented in Jack Phillips' case, but the court looked at the hostility that the Colorado Human Rights Commission or Civil Rights Commission showed to Phillips and his Christian beliefs, and they said that kind of hostility is unacceptable. It's, it's discriminatory behavior by a government actor, um, and they sent it back. So right now we're going to look at Colorado's anti-discrimination law and hopefully look at um, the importance of allowing for dissent. Mm -hmm. And um, Colorado isn't alone. We know just um, two terms ago involving Philadelphia's anti-discrimination or public accommodations policies, the same problems were being faced by Catholic Social Services foster care system. So this is a very important um, clarifying moment for the court and for the country. Absolutely, Andrea. I'm not going to get into all of the other cases that you've highlighted in your article. I'm going to refer our listeners uh, to the ncregister.com article. It's called Hot Button Issues Shine Spotlight on Supreme Court's Fall Slate. And there's also a, another article on the court, uh, this, this new term that Joan Frawley Desmond wrote. It's called An Illegitimate Court? Question mark. New Fall Term, Renewed Criticism. And those are both two important articles I invite you guys to, to listen to, uh, to read after you listen to this. Um, but Andrea, there's another article that you wrote that I really want to get to, and I'm, I was afraid of losing, uh, losing the opportunity. And so this one is called Faithful Catholics and the Midterms, What to Do. Um, and of course, there are so many of us that are, are you know, grappling with, with how we're going to vote um, coming up in, in November 8th. And, and so there's a total of 469 seats in the U.S. Congress up um, for election. Uh, there's a lot at stake. Um, you have kind of summarized some of those things. Um, d describe them now. What, what's at stake here, with, uh, especially with regard to Congress? You know, Jeanette, it's very interesting. First off, um, we are definitely in a time of great division, confusion, and frustration with our government. Um, but this is the time where Americans shine. And the most important thing is to to exercise our right to vote, to exercise our right to participate in this democracy and have our concerns be heard. At the federal level, stakes are high as far as who controls the Senate and the House. Um, we know in particular that there's a push among some secular progressive Democrats to advance what's called the Equality Act, which is an expansion of the Civil Rights Act to include sexual orientation and gender identity. And in a very sinister way, they are getting getting rid of religious freedom exemptions. And so having, um, having more people that are going to defend religious freedom and a proper understanding of the human person is key. And those cases are, those, those seats are important in as far as kind of advancing, continuing to advance what we know to be the truth about the human person and the importance of religious liberty. Uh, but I, I really want to make sure people know the importance of our state 
elections right. as well. Um, and as we know from Dobbs, the Supreme Court said, you know, this is not an issue related to the Constitution, but should be resolved by the people in the states. And so our state lawmakers, um, many, many um, seats are being um, up for grabs in these elections, and not only related to um, the sanctity of the unborn and protection for the unborn, but we know issues related to religious freedom, um, touching back on, on what we spoke about before, these importance of finding accommodations, a way for civil rights laws and religious freedom to kind of coexist. Um, that requires lawmakers who care about religious freedom. And the same can be said for law enforcement officials, state attorneys general, and, and this is something that's really interesting, state supreme courts. Mm. Um, these have been kind of sleeper case uh, elections where not a lot of people pay attention. We need to educate ourselves, know where people stand that are running for office. Are they going to faithfully interpret the state constitution? Are they going to pay attention to the laws as written by the state lawmakers? And are they going to heed the important guidance of our constitution as well when, when issues of those first freedoms are at stake? You know, Andrea, you bring up such an important point there. It's a great reminder for everybody that it, it really starts local, right? I mean, it, it, it starts local, and we so often look national, and that's because it, it captures, you know, the widest attention, of course. Um, but all of this starts local. It's, first of all, education starts in the family, right? Uh, raising voters and, and Catholics, um, uh, uh, Catholics who will vote um, uh, with their deeply held beliefs starts with the family. And then we have the greatest impact in our local community um, when it comes to elections. So it's a very good reminder for us <laughs> um, to think local and to educa educate ourselves on the local issues. Is there anything else you'd like to say? We're just at the tail end uh, as a reminder to voters. Well, I guess we just need to remember, ditch the despondency. You know, we have an opportunity. Our country is amazing, and our system of government with checks and balances has worked for so long. Um, we need to continue to press forward. There are many issues that are delicate and important, and the only way they're going to change in the direction of what is good and true and beautiful is if we're a part of that change. Well said, my friend, Andrea Pachati bayer Everybody, you're listening to Register Radio, and if you go to ncregister.com, you will find more news, analysis, and commentary. As always, I thank you listeners for joining us on Register Radio here on EWTN. Uh, for my producer, Jeff Burson, and for myself, Jeanette DeMello, I ask God to bless you. Until next week. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on ewtn.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.